People value quality of life often over quantity of life. I want to feel well and I want my medicines to work for me, but I don't want to take any that, that get in the way of the things that I really enjoy doing. Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant and educator, a caregiver support group leader, and an international presenter on how to respond to dementia behaviors. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer our practical insights, and share some emotional support. And we might even share a laugh or two because we all know laughter is the best medicine. Yeah, and over the years, you've given me plenty of reasons to laugh, haven't you, darling? I try my darndest. (laughs) And I never forget the wine. And I appreciate that. (laughs) So, you know, we have become aware of instances where medical professionals want to run tests and prescribe certain medications to elderly patients, even in people as old as 99 years old. And this has just totally blown our mind. Well, even tests like mammograms, colonoscopies, um, adding yeah. medications, um, and hopefully we can uh, we can address that issue today with somebody who is extremely knowledgeable about that. Um, today's guest comes to us from the UK and is an academic hospital pharmacist whose research aims to support healthcare professionals to work with elders and their caregivers to make sure they are getting the most out of their medicines and they are not taking any that they don't need or might cause them harm. He is a work package program manager on the Charmer Research Project. Please welcome Dr. Sean Scott. Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Delighted to be here. You know, Mike and I were talking um, before we even started this about the fact that some elderly people are taking medications that were prescribed many years ago that they may not need or may or maybe shouldn't be taking now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think the, the, the key thing is, isn't it, is is that as we get older we we tend to to develop more long term conditions, don't we? That's that's a natural thing that happens as, as we age. Um, and, and in some ways it's a testimony to how effective modern medicine is, right? That we're able to live longer. Um, but of course what happens is we develop these conditions. And so medicines that were once absolutely appropriate when they were first prescribed you know five ten even 20 years ago things change we we get older our lifestyle changes more medicines might be added and so sometimes the 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 risk benefit balance if you like that was considered when the medicine was first prescribed can change as people get older and sometimes that that balance can become unfavorable and and our research um, at the University of Leicester in the UK is all about stopping those medicines when when that balance flips to be more unfavorable. And what is an indication that that's happening? It can be it can be many things. Um, so it can it can be the development of a new condition uh, that might mean that a, that a medicine for another condition perhaps isn't really appropriate anymore. Um, it could be that something to treat high blood pressure from several years ago, you know, the blood pressure might might be okay these days. As people become less active as they get older, um, sometimes the blood pressure does tend to stabilize. Um, and so perhaps they don't need that, that blood pressure medicine anymore. Everyone's slightly different. And that's why it's really important. It's quite tricky um, that we support 
practitioners and, and patients to kind of work together because of course the, the patient is the expert in their own condition um, whereas the prescriber is the expert in the medicines and the diagnosis and they've got to work together to, to work out if that's happened. You know I, I recall when uh, my dad was with us and he had been prescribed an antipsychotic uh, in the in the 60s and was still taking it in the 2000s, so 40 years later. And a doctor said, you know, there's a better, less harsh medicine that we could use instead of this. And the medicine was Haldol. And instead of the Haldol, which is pretty strenuous, especially on an older person, let's pull back, let's take that away, and let's use this this other medicine. And so we did experience somebody looking at it, uh, because 40 years ago, the technology wasn't as good as it is in 2000. Yeah, and I guess, uh, you know, 40 years ago, that, that medicine might have been completely appropriate, you know, there'd have been a discussion happening, and, and it would right. have been completely appropriate. But as you said, as, as, uh, as people get older and, and things change, you go, actually, you know, is this really the right, the right course of action to take now? And I think your highlight might, though, this is really individual. So, so whilst in, in your circumstances, it was the right thing to stop that medicine and switch it to something else. Of course, for somebody else, it, it might not be, and it might be completely appropriate to carry that medicine on. Um, and so that's why it's not a, a blanket, um, blanket approach. You know, this really is about what the patient wants and what their carer wants as well. So um, you're part of the Charmer Research Program, and you are one of the work package program managers. Uh, talk to our listeners about what the Charmer program is and what work packages are within the Charmer program. Sure. So I guess I take you back to 2016, maybe, which is when I started my PhD. So, so you, you mentioned at the start that I'm a hospital pharmacist by background. Um, and uh, I worked on care of the elderly wards. So, so in the UK, these are, these are geriatric wards. And I was treating lots of patients who would come into hospital on regularly 10, 15, even 20 medicines. And, I, and, I, and we would, you know, we would treat the patient for, for whatever the reason was that they came in for, um, and we would send them home. And it really bothered me that we weren't taking that opportunity to also check in on their medicines. Um, we tended not to not to tinker with anything if it wasn't directly related to the reason the patient was in. But of course, you've got this huge team of knowledgeable healthcare professionals in hospital, all who've got something really unique to contribute to um, medicines optimization. So I went off and decided I would do a PhD in this because I wanted to understand, could we be doing more uh, reviewing of medicines in hospital and stopping medicines um, where the risks outweigh the benefits? And, and towards the end of my PhD, um, I worked with my PhD supervisors to put together the Charmer Research Grant. Um, so Charmer is a hospital-based um, support package, if you like, for practitioners to work with patients to stop inappropriate medicines. Um, and so within Charma, we've got these things called work packages, Mike, as you said, and these are several itemized projects, I guess, within Charma. Charma is a five-year program of research, and, e and each year, has, if you like, has its own work package. So, so the first work package that we undertook was um, 
working out what things really matter to patients and carers. So if we are to do a study in the future where we look at stopping medicines that are inappropriate, what are the outcomes that we should be measuring in that study? Um, the outcomes that are important to healthcare professionals might be quite different to the outcomes that are important to patients. So we worked with patients, practitioners, academics from all over the world in the first Charmer work package to work out exactly what we should be measuring in a future Charmer trial. Um, then the, the next work package was developing this um, this support package, if you like, for practitioners to work with patients. So they told us all the reasons why they really struggle to stop medicines. And there are lots of reasons why practitioners struggle to stop medicines and lots of reasons why patients also struggle to stop. So we've now understood all of these problems, worked with everybody to develop a strategy to stop these medicines in hospital. And the next work package is then testing that strategy. So in June of next year, we're hoping to roll this out across hospitals in England um, and see how effective the strategy is at stopping medicines with more risks and benefits in older people. So are you looking at more the quality of life yeah, so quality of life is is actually one of the outcomes in the um, in the study that we need to measure, and that was rated as most important by both patients and by healthcare professionals. So that's what they care most about. You know, and I'm glad that you mentioned that so many elderly people are taking an exorbitant number of medications. What I read most recently was here in the United States, people over the age of 65 take an average of 16 medications. And that's one of the things that I talk to people about when they begin to reach out because they're seeing certain behaviors and maybe memory loss in their someone in their family is to look at the medications that they're taking. Um, you know, I don't know if it happens in the UK, but here in the United States, there, there are drugs that are being advertised on television on a regular basis. And they talk so fast going over the possible side effects that it's almost impossible, uh, you know, and some of them, you know, end up with could result in death. Um, <laughs> and when you mix all of these together, it has to have an impact on the brain. So I am delighted with your project and, you know, getting the information out there and studying the results. But I can also understand why somebody in my age group who has been taking a medication that my doctor has prescribed for years and I trust my physician, what's going to happen to me if it goes away? Yeah. Now, I am fortunate enough, that, you know, both of my parents lived well into their 80s and neither one of them took a large amount of medications. My dad took two. Um, my mother never needed blood pressure medication. At this point in my life, I take two. One is for blood pressure and one is hormonal. Um, but that doesn't mean that I haven't had other medications suggested by my doctor. Um, and then when I looked at the side effects and the possible interactions, I, de I declined to take certain that, that I felt might do me more harm than good. And I know that my doctor has my best interest at heart, and we frequently have this conversation. And uh, I said to her one time, I understand that you're coming, to, you're giving me the best advice that, that you believe I need to hear, and I'm processing it, but I am 72 years old. My cognitive health is extremely important to me, and I'm going to die of something. <laughs> And she says, 
wow, you are more self-aware than most people that I know. But I am a healthy 72-year-old, and I, and I want to stay that way. Yeah, I think, I think you've raised a really important point, actually, that this is around what somebody's goals are, what they want to achieve out of their medicine and what's important for them. Um, and, and, you know, there's lots and lots of research been done in this area. And the common theme that keeps coming out is that people value quality of life often over quantity of life. Okay. Uh, and, and that's, that's kind of really important. And I think Bobby, that's kind of where, where you're coming from here. It's around, you know, I, I want to feel well, right. And, and I want my medicines to work for me. Um, but I don't want to take any that, that don't make me feel good or, or get in the way of the exactly. things that I really enjoy doing. Cause, cause what's the point if they do that? Now, um, Sean, do you find that, um, caregivers will kind of push back when you look at, um, this is a new word for me, de-prescribing <laughs> uh, medications, uh, a caregiver saying, hey, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. My care recipient here has been on this medication for 10 years and it's doing okay. Uh, don't want to upset the apple cart or trouble, trouble, so to speak. Do you find a lot of pushback from caregivers? So. Doctors and pharmacists really worry about that, Mike. This is something that whenever we ask them, you know, why why do you not stop these medicines? You know, you, you know that they're not necessarily helping, you know, a given patient. And they, you know, they say, well, we're really worried that, you know, they've been on it for a long time. I wasn't the one who started it. That's a particular problem. If it was somebody else who first started that medicine um, and somebody else is now coming along and saying, oh, you know, uh, this might not be good for you anymore. They, they really worry about this. Now, we've done some research here in the UK, and it's been done um, across the world, actually, where we ask people what they think about deprescribing. Um, and the vast majority of patients and their carers are supportive of deprescribing, provided that they're involved in making that decision. That's what we find. And, and actually, when we did some focus groups with people, they said, well, well, hang on, if there is a medicine that's offering more risks than benefits, then, then, then actually there's an expectation that that medicine is stopped. Of course, how that conversation goes is going to be crucial, though. If, if the carer or the patient really doesn't, doesn't believe the, the, the practitioner or doesn't feel that the practitioner is making decisions based on what their goals are, then there's going to be a problem. Um, and what we found in, in so, so what we found in studies when people have tried to do studies of deprescribing, that whilst we know that most people are supportive of it, actually about 50 percent of people decline when it really comes to it. And we don't fully understand what's going wrong there. So hypothetically, most people are up for it, but 50 percent decline when it comes to it. And we think it's got something to do with that interaction. The way that it's presented, we think there's something wrong. And part of Charmer is about looking at how practitioners have those conversations with the patients because something might be going wrong and we need to fix that. And I imagine, you know, there's a lot of things that sound good in theory, but when it comes time to actually make that decision, there, there, I can imagine there's a certain amount of fear because we see many, many times a warning, do not stop taking this medication or don't stop cold turkey. So maybe there may, needs to be some education on we're going to wean you off of this or like you said, what's the conversation with the doctors as opposed to just saying it's time to take you off of this without explaining how or why it's going to happen. 
Yeah, and I think I think that's really good advice. You know, not not to stop medicines um, without speaking to the to the doctor or to the prescriber, um, because there may be things that that either the doctor or the patient you know isn't aware of that need to be thought about. And, and you're absolutely right, Bobby. Some medicines have to be stopped quite gradually. Others don't, um, but but it's important that the patient has a plan in place. And that's a really key thing about deprescribing. It's not just a case of right, you're not taking this medicine anymore. See you later. It's 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 a process and there has to be a plan, even if it's not about gradually stopping, there still has to be a plan. And there always needs to be the option to restart that medicine if if the patient decides they want to do that or if something goes wrong and, and, and something might, just like something can go wrong when somebody first prescribes a medicine. You know, this is healthcare and, and there are no certainties. So is the deep prescribing done in, in a clinical type situation as opposed to okay, we're going to take this away, go home. <laughs> is it more of uh, an inpatient or a outpatient with a daily look-see? Um, how does that work? So in, in my view, you know, de-prescribing is no different to prescribing, if you think about it like that. You know, there should be uh, a, a process that's followed. There should be a, a conversation with the patient. And that could be in the inpatient setting. And certainly for Charmer, um, we are focusing on the hospital setting. But of course, there are other settings where these conversations can happen as well with mm -hmm. the general practitioner or the family physician in the nursing or care home setting. So Charmer is just one angle of a much much bigger um a much more bigger much much bigger problem if you like um but but i think that de-prescribing and prescribing are are, are you know they're, they're two sides of the same coin uh, and so the thought um that goes into prescribing and the care and attention that goes into prescribing that time where your doctor first introduces you to a new medicine exactly the same thing should happen with de-prescribing so let's say patient has an adverse reaction to deprescribing. Do you look at automatically just putting it back in or maybe look at adding a lower dose to see what the reaction is, if it um, alleviates the adverse reaction as opposed to 100 milligrams, maybe 20 milligrams or, or 10 milligrams? Is, is that part of what the process is also? Yeah, you know, absolutely. Nothing's off the table. When we, when we, you know, come to a shared agreement to deprescribe, we've also got to think about, well, what are we going to do if something, you know, something doesn't go quite to plan? Just in the same way as if we were to prescribe a medicine and there was an adverse reaction, we would have a plan, right? We would say, okay, well, maybe we need to lower the dose then, you know, let's not go in on that higher dose, let's let's go down a bit. Exactly the same with deprescribing. If something were to go wrong, it might be that we have to reintroduce the medicine. It might even be like uh, you spoke about earlier, Mike, that you switch to a different type of medicine then for that for that condition. You know, if it's not being adequately managed without the medicine, then then maybe we need to add something back in. But it doesn't have to be the same medicine. It could be something else. I know we aren't specifically talking about dementia patients here, but there are certain medications that are often prescribed for a dementia or an Alzheimer's that work for some people and don't work for others and sometimes have a negative effect depending on the type of dementia that you that the person has. For instance, um, Mike's dad had Lewy body dementia, which we did not, we never saw those words until after he had passed and I was reading his medical records. We knew he had dementia. We also knew that he was a schizophrenic and was on medications for that most of his life. And 
COPD and congestive heart failure and Parkinson's and all of those other things. But one thing that we could um, we could rely on, and uh, a nurse that I was working with very closely with, monitoring his health, if a medication was prescribed and the side effects were going to be A, B, C, Roger would react completely the opposite. If it, you know, it could cause weight gain, he would start losing weight. If it was going to put you to sleep, he'd be awake for three days. Yeah. And it wasn't until afterwards that I heard that people with Lewy body often react the opposite to medications for Alzheimer's disease. So we frequently have people who are caregivers who are advised to take a certain medication for the person with a dementia and with drastic effects, you know, all of a sudden the person is aggressive, all of us, you know, um, so, and then they need to take that off. So there's a certain amount of education that needs to go into as to how to prescribe depending on what the illness the person has. Yeah, I think the the, the type of medicine and the, t- the type of illness that we're talking about is so important, isn't it? You know, stopping um, maybe a cholesterol medicine, you know, might not seem too emotional that that might be something quite easy stopping a medicine for dementia you know if you're a carer that is that's a really tough call to make and we know that people that that carers find that really difficult you know they feel even though they know it's the right decision the medicine's not offering any benefit anymore but all medicines carry risks of side effects but they feel that it's you know some kind of admission that maybe they're giving up um, and that can be really, really difficult. That's really, really difficult. Yeah. Um, and when you're a prescriber, I mean, how do you, you know, deal with that? How do you support them? Because you know that this medicine's no, not doing the patient any good anymore. But, but actually, the, the carer is just as important as, as the patient in all of this as well. It's really, really tough. So what tip or tips can you recommend to our listeners to have this conversation with their care partner's physician. So how do I how do I initiate this conversation about deprescribing different medicines? I think one of the things that that's really easy and and one of the things that we're kind of looking at in Charmer is you know that asking your physician, asking your prescriber um, whether or not you still need all the medicines anymore. That's a really nice way of starting that conversation, going through that list, you know, looking at what all the medicines are for. I mean, you know, some people don't don't know for sure what, what they're taking all of their medicines for. And so what are the first steps in establishing whether a medicine is still needed is working out, you know, what you're taking it for. You know, we see instances of people who have a medicine prescribed for you know, an upset tummy um, or a painkiller um, and they stay on it for five, 10 years, even though the upset tummy is gone, you know, the pain is gone. And so the first step is actually talking to the prescriber, asking what, 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 why are you taking everything you're taking? Do you still need them all? I think that's the first thing you can do. I think that's a good, a good tip. And I, the only experience we had that with your dad was when he came into in-home hospice and they just, you know, went into comfort care and took away everything that it wasn't needed to make sure that he felt he was comfortable, like the um, three times a day breathing treatments and, you know, things like that. 
but it's good to know that you can have that conversation before you get to end of life. There are there are steps along the way. This is this is the I guess the culture shift that we're trying to um, trying to achieve with things like Charma is that stopping medicines does not mean that you're giving up, and it you know it's not just for people at you know at their end of life. You know, you can have medicine stopped in your fifties, sixties, seventies. You know, because that risk benefit balance has changed, and that's one of the reasons why prescribers are so worried about deprescribing because they don't want the patient to think that this is the prescriber giving up on them, um, that they're, you know, that they're trying to save money, because that's, that's a concern as well that prescribers have, that, you know, if I suggest stopping this medicine, how is that going to look from the patient's perspective? Um, and so these, you can see why these are really difficult conversations to have, right? And why that's why they don't happen as often as they should. Well, you know, we're, we are in a culture where we are bombarded with advertising for different medications for for anything and almost anything humanly possible. And we've we've got comfortable with going to the doctor and saying, this is what's what's happening. Here's here's a medication. Here's a pill. Take it. Um, so I can understand why there might be some conversation, some pushback on taking less because we we want to feel better. We want to feel better right away. Doctor, fix it. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You know, but but medicines aren't necessarily the answer to everything, are they? And we're we're learning more and more about this now. And you know, recently in in the UK, we're doing a lot more what we're calling social prescribing, where we're prescribing things other than medicines. We can prescribe exercise, we can prescribe diets, we can prescribe counselling. Um, and I think the way that that is being, if you like, marketed calling it prescribing it, it it feels like you know oh, i'm not i'm not losing out actually you know they're, they're now prescribing this instead of a medicine i'm still getting something i'm still walking out of the doctor's office with something um, and i think that's really helping over here actually framing it slightly differently rather than advice now do you find um that being receptive by the insurance companies i know from the aspect of being a music therapist um doctors saying they can prescribe a drug that's $500 a month and nobody bats an eye, but they can't prescribe a $60 MP3 player to help calm and ease the anxiety or the aggression of a dementia patient. So uh, a one-time fee or a one-time buy of $60 for an MP3 player versus $500 a month for a pill, they can't get the MP3 player approved. Do you find that type of situation over there? Because you're saying you prescribe the medicine or you you prescribe this therapy. Do you have that same type of issue? So yeah, it, it seems ludicrous, doesn't it? You know, if, if there's <laughs> if, the, if if there's research that shows that the MP3 is just as good as the drug or better, um, and it's cheaper, it's less money, um, and and has less side effects, then then it would seem ludicrous not to give that. We should be looking at these things, you know as one and the same thing um you know in in the uk we we have a slightly different system over here we, we don't have an insurance-based system we have a, a, a national health service um and uh, and and so those those decisions are are, are made by governments and, and and by local authorities and so perhaps that's one of the reasons why we've managed to push this through relatively quickly is that we have that kind of system that that's perhaps more amenable to that kind of thing but i but i really hope that one day these things are all 
seen in the same way because I, you know, as a pharmacist, it might seem odd that I advocate for non-drug alternatives. <laughs> right. You know, my, my, my training, <laughs> my training is all about medicines, but actually, you know, that helps me as well know that when medicines aren't right to use and when something else is better. And I'm sure you became a pharmacist because you want people to get the medications that are going to help them. Right, exactly. And to help preserve their quality of life. And so I think what you're doing fits exactly <laughs> with your profession. And, and I'm glad that we have people like you who are doing this kind of research. Well, Sean, certainly thank you for being on the show. It's been quite informative to me. Uh, as usual, we learn every time uh, we, we talk to somebody, um, especially a researcher, of, of the different things that are going on. And uh, I certainly got a lot out of our talk. Oh, yeah. I, I learn every single time. And, and I think one of the most important things that, that Sean shared with, with me and also with our listeners is to have that conversation with their primary care physician. Um, do I need, need to continue with this medication? Are there some medications in this list that I can do without going forward? Are they really needed? Yes. And that's really the key to starting that conversation. And hopefully the doctor will take the time to look and have that discussion. We all know that the doctors are pressed for time. They got to move, they got to move, they got to move. But hopefully the doctor will take the time to look and you come up with a, a plan that uh, everybody agrees upon to de-prescribe the medicines. And if there's a medication you've been taking for a number of years, that's probably one that you want to start with asking your doctor if, if you need that anymore. And, and again, there might be something better mm -hmm. as opposed to the same old, this is the way we've always done it. <laughs> exactly. So I think that's, that's really important. You know, and I think the, the doctor will be really quite happy that people um, open up those conversations, given that it's really hard to do it you know, the other way around. And even if the outcome is, you know what, yeah, we've looked at that medicine and, and it is still right for you, actually, then actually that's reassurance, right? That you know that you're taking the medicines that you should be. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. You bet. So you can find more information about Dr. Scott in the Charmer Research Program on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show go to iTunes, post a review, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master. And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights from dramas to comedies and all those in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. 
please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company.